Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin along with my colleague and co-host Bruce Kelly. Today we're talking to SEC Commissioner Hester Peirce and we want to thank our colleague Mark Sheff for helping to set this up. It's uh, really an honor to talk to uh, to Hester and uh, I'm going to introduce her and then we're going to try and uh, get a great look from what it's like inside the SEC. Hester was appointed to the Securities and Exchange Commission by President Donald Trump and was sworn in in January 2018. Prior to joining the SEC, Commissioner Peirce conducted research on the regulation of financial markets at the Mercatus Center at George Mason University. She was a senior counsel on the U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs, where she advised ranking member Richard Shelby and other members of the Committee on Securities Issues. Commissioner Peirce served as counsel to SEC Commissioner Paul Atkins. She also worked as a staff attorney in the SEC's Division of Investment Management. Hester was an associate at Wilmer Cutler and Pickering and clerk for Judge Roger Andwell on the Court of Federal Claims. She earned her bachelor's degree in economics from Case Western Reserve University and her JD from Yale Law School. Hester, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jeff. And I should have told you to use the summary prospectus version of my uh, bio. But anyway, I do have to give my disclaimer, which is that my views are my own views and not necessarily those of the SEC or my fellow commissioners. Excellent. And, and I want to double down on that because that is also my disclaimer. Uh, Bruce, do you have a disclaimer? No, just happy that the commissioner is here. I'm a fan of your show. So it, it's 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 an honor for me to be uh, to be part of it. That's great. Thank you very much. Well, we're going to jump right into the deep end. If you're a fan of our show, you know we go all over the place, so this is where we're going to start. Um, Hester, I want to ask you about uh, your perspective on Gary Gensler's agenda, Chairman Gary Gensler's agenda, having worked with him now for 14 months. Well, his agenda is certainly ambitious. I think that's the term everyone uses to describe it. Uh, we're, we're putting out rules at a, at a pretty intense pace. Um, so in terms of, of speed, I would say it's too fast. Um, I think it's not allowing enough time to, for us to get the, the kind of feedback, both internally and externally, that we need to make sure that the rules achieve their objectives and do so at the, at the lowest cost possible without unintended consequences. But in terms of the actual uh, substance of the agenda, I do have concerns. Um, I think we are taking the commission into a much more merit regulatory role than it has been in. And, and that's not only with respect to the investment advisors and broker dealers and other firms that we oversee, but even with respect to public companies, we're really getting in their business and telling them how to run their businesses. And that's, that's a pretty marked um, change from what, what the commission has done in the past and what, what our authority tells us we're allowed to do. Is Are you referring to the SEC's role uh, as a regulatory agency versus an enforcement agency there? I am, right. So so just speaking of the rules that we're, we're adopting or proposing, we haven't, we haven't um, really gotten to the adopting stage yet, but in terms of looking at, at our rules on, on public companies, for example, we've put out a climate proposal, we've put out a cyber proposal, and both of those proposals, while couched as disclosure rulemakings, actually are designed, it seems to me, to affect substantive changes at the way, in the way companies manage themselves. 
And that just is very different from what we've done in the past and from, I think what Congress told us to do. I think you self-identify as a libertarian, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I believe that people should be able to make their own choices about their future. That includes making choices about investments. And that means that we have a responsibility to get them disclosures so that they can assess the risks. But I, I think that people have a right to make decisions for their own lives and for, the, for their families. Hester, I want to ask you what kind of influence on, on regulatory oversight do you hope to provide? I mean, well, you've already been there for a few years. I mean, what, what, what is your influence? I know it's a committee or it's a commission and you're, you're one of a few, but talk about your influence because you talked about the, you know, what you're seeing as far as the pace of Gary Gensler's agenda and some of the other issues, but what, what is your, you feel like your input is? Well, so certainly the chair sets the agenda and that's, that's always uh, been the case. We are a commission, as you mentioned, and it's it's typically a commission of five. We're down one right now, but the, the two new um, commissioners are wending their way through the confirmation process, and I expect um, that that will move forward relatively quickly. So what what I think of a commission is the, the, the value of a commission is you bring together five people with different experiences, different views on things, different approaches to regulation, different emphases in the way we think about things. And all of our voices matter to to the outcome. Now, of course, um, I'm in a position now where, where um, I'm a bit outnumbered in some of the views I have, certainly. But I think I can um, play a positive role in reminding, in reminding the commission to be thinking about some of these these kinds of things that I discussed, you know, it's the limits of our authority as a regulator, the importance of of um, of taking into account individual liberty and concerns around individual liberty. Those kinds of things are are reminder and the, the importance of due process when we're making rules and bringing enforcement actions. Those kinds of things are are things that I bring up often in conversations, and I think it can be very valuable to have that viewpoint. And look, I learn a lot from my colleagues too. And so I'm, I'm listening to their perspectives and they've had experiences that I haven't had that I can draw from. And then of course, we're getting lots of comment through the comment process from outside, but also just from interactions that we have with, with people on the outside. And so we're, we're all able to bring something to the table in those conversations. Yeah, I have to say it's, uh, it's refreshing to hear somebody in a position of, uh, of overseeing regulations who sounds like you're not you're or you're a fan of maybe slowing the role on regulations we are doing a lot of really big rule makings right now and we're 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 embarking on that course with short comment periods with really um quick turnaround you know in terms of the work at the commission itself the, the staff are working very hard and there's a value to doing things quickly, but there's also a value to pausing to make sure that you're getting all the input you need to get to the right place. Um, and that's and that's something that I think we we can all, you know, regardless of what your perspective on the rules are, we can all agree that we want them to be the best uh, that they can that they can be, and that means getting lots of input. Our, uh, referring again to our colleague Mark Sheff, who covers uh, regulatory regulations from Washington. 
he described Chairman Gensler's agenda as the biggest and most aggressive he's seen in 12 years of covering the agency. I mean, why is that? Is there, does the, 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 Gensler feel like there's a clock ticking or something? Well, I think Chair Gensler has, has a lot of energy and he brings that um, certainly to, to the current role that he's in. He has a lot of ideas about, about different aspects of the commission's work. And so I think um, is, is trying to, uh, to get a lot done. Um, but, it certainly is. I, I wouldn't wouldn't disagree with that assessment. That it certainly is um, one of the biggest uh, agendas that I've seen. Probably the biggest agenda I've seen in my in my time as a commissioner, and then before when I was on the staff. Very a uh, diplomatic answer. Um, I, I had uh, one more question. I'm going to toss it over to Bruce. Um, what? Uh, how political is it inside the SEC? I wouldn't describe things as political, I think we have, you know, we have different philosophies about um, regulation and about the role of the SEC and so forth. And we have those discussions and they're, they're, you know, robust discussions. Um, I should say we, we have a Sunshine Act rule, which means that the five of us can't all be in the same place talking about something uh, at the same time, unless it's if we're having a meeting about an enforcement case or a set of enforcement cases, we can do that. Otherwise, it has to be in public. So I think that's one dynamic of the commission that maybe um, people on the outside don't don't fully appreciate. That does that does change the way you you interact if you can't all just sit together in a room. Um, but but certainly, you know, we have our different views. But as I said, I I am able to draw on my colleagues different approaches to things and their their different um, viewpoints. It, it may not change my mind on an issue, but I think that interaction is very important. And one thing to remember too, is that our capital markets in this country are as excellent as they are, and I think unrivaled, because we've taken a very pragmatic approach to regulating them. It's not about trying to turn the capital markets into a, into a an extension of our political markets. These are places where people come with money and with ideas, and the, the people with money and the people with ideas meet together in the marketplace, and they they help to build our economy, and that's prosperity for everyone. So, keeping politics out of the capital markets, I think, is is really important. And and so, no, I I wouldn't describe it um, as as politicized, and I don't think it should be. Okay, Bruce. Commissioner, thanks so much again uh, for taking a few minutes to chat with us today. I, I, in my recent discussions, I don't know, over the past four to six, eight months with people inside the securities firms that you uh, that you all regulate, and you know what Investment News does, right? We talk to brokerage firms and RIAs and the people running those businesses um, and seeing what's going on with them and what changes they're making. It seems like regulation best interest has is really taking root. Um, if that's what, if that's you know one way to consider it, and it's having an impact on um, what uh, financial advisors are selling, what they're recommending, uh, what f- kinds of products are getting on firm platforms. What is your sense, just as you as with having one seat at the commission about uh, the impact that Reg BI is having on the broad brokerage or wealth management or financial advice 
business right now? Well, I do think that it has been um, effective at getting firms to kind of do a, a rethink of how they how they do things, and that I think has been a healthy process. Um, and and so, from my perspective, that that piece of of Reg BI has has been quite successful. I mean, we'll see, right? Things play out over time, and once the lawyers start to get involved, right? Exactly. I mean, the lawyers are already already involved. Believe me, they they they're involved all through right. the process. But when the uh, you know, of course, there will be enforcement actions. I'm sure, and that you know that affects things. Right, but do you do you regard it as a success as 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 something that's you know doing what it was supposed to do? I do, and and I was impressed that the firms were able to implement it. I thought the implementation timeline was quite aggressive because it really did require firms to kind of do a wholesale rethink. Maybe they didn't have to change um, everything. They obviously wouldn't change everything, but but going through and thinking about what did have to change, and that was a big undertaking do in a year and then it turned out that implementation was happening the same time covid was happening with people moving to work from home and so right. that added a whole new dynamic right. and i think i again i i've been impressed based on what i've heard from our exam staff have been impressed at how seriously firms took it um, and really i do think it has been a success now something like this we will we have to judge over time of course but i think um from initial reports oh, yeah, now the one piece of it i'm not as enthusiastic about is 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 form crs um that part was the disclosure form that kind of was intended to help people understand what kind of firm they're dealing with and i i just it it's a very short form it's intended to pack a lot of information into a short form and i i just think it ends up being um another another piece of paper that people aren't necessarily paying attention to. So that part I'm, I'm not as enthusiastic about. Yeah, I see what you mean. It almost reads like another bit of boilerplate disclosure that the consumer would have to digest. And they, after two or three pages of another thing, why would they bother, you know? Yeah, and I think one of the mistakes that we've made as a disclosure regulator is that we really haven't allowed firms to experiment with technology as fully as they would if they didn't have to think all the time about, you know, can we check the box on this rulemaking? Because we have a very paper-based mentality at the SEC, and so we're thinking about someone, <laughs> presenting, you know, presenting a form CRS, right? It's going right. to be a paper form. And I'm thinking, no, if you really want someone to read something and absorb what the information is that's in that, you've got to let them have it in a mobile app or, you know, even audio version, whatever it is. But there are different, there, there are different ways to communicate with people, video, interactive. Um, and firms are trying to experiment with some of that, but we don't make it easy for them. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. That's a whole nother... <laughs> That's a, that's like almost a whole nother article or, or podcast. Just one more thing before I kick it back over to Jeff and and uh, just private securities markets reforms in general, the definition of an accredited and qualified investor. I know the previous chair, uh, chair Chairman Clayton, was really pushing for allowing um, just more in general greater access for investors to private securities. And there's arguments for and against that, uh, th that investment news and, you know, the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, everybody's 
Reuters, etc., have all have all published and played out in. My perspective is that, and Jeff knows this well, you know, so much of the so many of the securities that get investors into trouble are these private placements or private real estate investment trusts or or the like. They're highly volatile. Um, so I have a lot of concerns about gate letting investors have more access to private securities markets. What are your thoughts on that and 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 what's going on inside the commission right now about that? Well, Bruce, I understand your concerns, and I think we all look out on the landscape of of investments out there and we say, oh, you know there there are certain things we we're, we're concerned about, but at the same time, if we get the disclosure piece of it right, um, then I really do think that people are better at making decisions for themselves than we give them credit for. Um, one of the reasons to, to be concerned about the limited access to private markets is that more and more activity is happening in the private markets, companies are staying private longer, and so finding a way to allow a greater percentage of the population to participate in companies while they're in the private markets makes a lot of sense. And frankly, one of the biggest concerns that I hear from people is outrage over the accredited investor standard. You know, the argument that you have to be rich to get rich is one that I, that I hear all the time. And it's not to say that if you invest in the private markets, you're, you're going to get rich, but I talk to people all the time who have done the work, they've, they've spent their nights and weekends taking a course, studying, learning about investing, and then they're told, sorry, this whole section of the market is shut off to you, and they really resent that. So I think the, the changes that, that Chairman Clayton um, initiated to start to rethink sophistication and think about it in terms other than just wealth and income, think about it in terms of what your experience is, and maybe um, someone can come in and show us that a particular accreditation or a particular course of study should, should allow people to be accredited investors. I mean, from my perspective, those are baby steps, but at least they're steps in the right direction. Uh, I, I suspect that my colleagues um, on the commission are more in, in your camp <laughs> than maybe they are in, in mine in terms of uh, in terms of opening up accredited investor, I think there's a lot of interest in trying to shrink the pool of accredited investors. Well, I think it's a fascinating argument. Um, you know, how do you show that you are a sophisticated investor, right? It's not just because you have a million bucks in your brokerage account or your bank account. Yeah, I mean, I think we can all think of people we know who have a lot of money who we wouldn't consider to be particularly sophisticated. And then we can think of people who don't have much money, but who are who are very sophisticated and who maybe um, have have developed an expertise and want to invest in that industry, or just have have spent a lot of time thinking about investing and want to and want to have the opportunities. But of course, we always want people to be very careful and to think before they invest and not to get caught up in the fear of missing out. And, you know, we're we're always underscoring those lessons, and I think better financial education much earlier in people's lives is essential. It's something we've got to work on in this country. So those kinds of things would, would help prepare people to make better decisions. But I still think people are able to make good decisions if we give them the right tools. Yeah. Um, full, full disclosure, uh, Commissioner Purse, I am definitely more in your camp on this one. Um, I have 
always a long campaign for some kind of a qualification beyond the size of somebody's uh, bank account or income to decide how they can invest and where they can invest. And along those lines, uh, we got a request from one of our loyal followers to ask you about private investments in 401k plans, which is kind of the same question, but it, it gets a little bit more uh, nuanced with the retirement plan uh, qualifier. Any comments or thoughts on that? Well, certainly retirement plans, uh, the regulation thereof is not, is not within our bailiwick. Um, so I have to be a little bit careful about that. But again, I think giving people options that they want to have is, is a good thing, but also also reminding people that they have to think about how something sits in their broader portfolio, what their risk tolerance is, how long they have until retirement. Uh, there are a lot of factors that go into it. And, and so we, you know, we're always, we, we're always needing to encourage people to think about that full picture. Um, but again, I'll stay away from, from what the rules around retirement plans should be. All right. Excellent. Um, ESG rules. This is uh, um, obviously big in everybody's face right now. Um, it, it seems like companies are, are the number of companies getting dinged for uh, what is colloquially known as greenwashing are, are kind of uh, stacking up. Um, and the SEC is, is clearly made this a focus. I guess it's part of uh, Chairman Gensler's gigantic agenda. But uh, what what are your where is this going? Give us a kind of the SEC's uh, Cliff's notes on this. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple different pieces to the ESG narrative now here at the SEC. So first, we we adopted a, a or proposed, I'm sorry, proposed a large rule on um, climate disclosures. And that that's one component of ESG. Um, human capital disclosure rulemaking um, is, is something that's also been mentioned as, as, as being on the agenda, on the chair's agenda. Um, and then on the on the investment advisor investment company side we also just proposed a rule around esg more broadly uh and and then there's also as you mentioned there's the the enforcement side and the examination side looking at looking at greenwashing so what i would say is we do have rules in place that allow us to go after uh greenwashing if if a fund or an advisor is saying we're we're doing uh, we're, we're managing your money according to ESG principles, and they're not doing that in practice. They're doing something different than they said they were doing. We have the authority now to bring cases. We've done that. Um, so now trying to trying to put a rulemaking around it. And we also actually proposed a rule on fund names, which I think is also tied uh, to ESG because a lot of funds are trying to name themselves with an ESG name um, and you know the question is are they matching up what their what their names say so my my concern is that ESG is this very nebulous and always growing set of of topic and so it's it's pretty unclear to me how we are going to administer rules around ESG because ESG means one thing to Jeff means another thing to Bruce and means another thing to me um, and how are we going to? How, how are we as a regulator going to um, enforce and implement around that? I I don't know. I think it will be very challenging. 
Um, and I think some of the consequences of the rules might actually make make funds and advisors less likely to want to um, offer these kinds of products and services because so many requirements will go along with them. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out and, and what the comments are on, on those rules. You know, in terms of the of the public company rules, I've already mentioned that some of my concern is that they're 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 supposedly disclosure rules, but they seem intended to affect behavior. And that is a concern. That is interesting, that last part about uh, maybe it uh, the rules and regulations become a little bit of a deterrent. Um, we'll have to keep an eye on that. Um, I want to shift over to, uh, to crypto. Uh, somewhere, somehow, you have uh, been given the nickname Crypto Mom. I don't know if you gave it to yourself or I did somebody not else. I I absolutely did not. Well, it's kind of a cool nickname. Um, it's a great nickname. You get a t-shirt made or something. Do you like that, Hester, or, or, or do you find it kind of off-putting? It's better than some of the other things I'm called. I, I will say that you should never think about the government as your mom. Oh, <laughs> preach it. I'm with you there. Let me ask you about, so cryptocurrency regulation. I mean, this is, again, another onion to peel. But, um, I mean, first of all, crypto is... I mean, tanking, dropping like a rock. I think it's around 20,000 right now. But um, what's the outlook for a, a Bitcoin or a crypto uh, ETF? Well, so and one thing I should say is crypto is a really broad, it's a broad name that encompasses lots of things. So um, it's important to think about each asset differently, right? It's some some being one thing and some being a very different thing. But in terms of a, a, a Bitcoin exchange traded product, we we have been, I, that's the question. So in addition to the accredited investor question, that's the, the question I get asked the most when a Bitcoin exchange traded product is coming. And so we've gotten past the hurdle of Bitcoin futures products. Those are out there trading now. Um, but there's just been a real resistance at the agency to a spot product. And I can't make heads or tails of it you know, the, the agency keeps putting out these denials. And of course, the facts and circumstances of any application matter. But these denials just keep coming. The market keeps maturing and we're still getting we're still getting denials. And I've not been able to explain them for the last four years. I wish I, I, I understood the rationale, but I just don't. And you can't look at the fact, you know, people will point now to the fact that crypto, Bitcoin, the Bitcoin price is dropping. So you know, that's true. Uh, I've seen that also, but I think a lot of other asset prices are dropping now too. And so, you know, we can't base our decisions on those kinds of, those kinds of issues. And again, if, if a product like this is going to trade, we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be suggesting that people buy it or not buy it. It's up to them to make that decision. By waiting as long as we have to approve it, it almost seems like we're we're stepping in and saying we want to be a merit regulator and we want to decide when when this product is is um, good for investors and that's certainly not a role we ever play when when something goes through and is trading on our markets it does not mean that the SEC has has suggested that it's a good product we've just suggested that it ticks off the the boxes that it needs to tick off and the the right disclosures have been made. I want to ask you about the. Uh, uh... Chairman Ginsler gave a speech uh, recently uh, 
where he raised the possibility of reforming payment for order flow and replacing it with auctions on exchanges to fill stock trading orders. And that sounds a little complex, but I want you to, what is your position on that, on reforming payment for order flow? Well, we have to bear in mind that the retail investor has has never faced um, a better set of conditions in the equity markets. And so whatever we do, we should not make things worse for retail investors. Now, people have raised a number of issues in, in the equity markets, which I'm, I'm certainly open to discussing and thinking about whether there are changes we can be made that, that we can make. You know, in general, I think the SEC's role in the equity markets is too much of a micromanagement role, but we are where we are. And so if there, if there are adjustments that need to be made, then I'm, I'm willing to think about them. But again, it needs to be done in that more, in that more holistic manner where we're thinking about whether we're really making the, the, the situation better or worse for retail investors. Um, and, and other investors too. I mean, obviously we care about all, all the investors in our equity markets, but whatever steps we take, we need to bear the, the consequences in mind. It's early days. You know, we have to see what the proposal looks like. The, 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 the set of, of issues that Herr Gensler laid out in a recent speech that he gave was pretty extensive. And there are a number of different issues there. And so I think we're going to have to work through each one of those. And and, and I'm going to have to see exactly what it is he's proposing to do. I, I think it would be a lot to take on, right, Hester, for the SEC to take on in, in relation to everything that's already laid out that you said is the most, or we're saying is very clearly ambitious, right? I mean, it would be another huge ambitious undertaking, right? Exactly. It is. It is a huge undertaking. And the, the thing is, you know, we did just make some changes under under Chairman Clayton, and it would be nice also to let those play out to see how those changes will will affect the the, the markets. Um, but it certainly is uh, is a big undertaking. Uh, I have I have one more thing for you, Hester, and then I'm going to see if Bruce has anything before we let you go. But um, your current term is, is, is scheduled to expire in 2025, which means you could be uh, we could you could be in this position under a under potentially a Republican president. Uh, and that means maybe is it possible you could end up as the SEC chair? If you were the SEC chair, what would uh, what would uh, what would the commission uh, run like? What would be on your agenda? Because you've already said that the chair kind of sets the agenda. I mean, I think that what I want to see this agency focused on is the bread and butter things that are at the core of what we we do. Um, and and sometimes those things aren't very exciting. You know, it's, it's and, and some of them are on Chair Gensler's agenda, like modernizing record keeping rules for broker dealers. Not exciting, but an important change if we can do it. I'd love to see us address transfer agents. Those rules haven't been updated in a long time. And it's it's a it's again another big undertaking, but one that I think would be worth our investing time in. Updating the custody rules for investment advisors. Difficult work, but it really important. So it's it's those kinds of things. Now obviously there are other areas where I think we we need to do some some rulemaking that are a little bit more maybe interesting to the outside world. Like I, I've been pretty outspoken about saying that we need to have some kind of regulatory approach on crypto. Um, 
and and so there are areas I think would would get a little bit more attention. But a lot of what what an agenda that I would would set up would be would be pretty uh pretty boring to the average um to the average person. Bruce, you have anything else before we let the uh... Jeff? You read my mind. I was just going to ask the commissioner if if. She if or when she became uh, chair, you know, what would she want to, to drive at, at the SEC? So you read my mind there. Well, there's probably going to be a rule about not calling her crypto mom. That's what I would anticipate. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, again, that's, that's better than some of the other names I, I've been called, but I do, I do really appreciate it. Um, you both taking the time, Jeff and Bruce, it's been fun to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. All right, Jeff, that was another great episode of the Investment News Podcast. Hey, if it's Monday, it's time for another podcast. And this time, we want to thank our very special guest, Hester Purse, Commissioner with the Securities and Exchange Commission. We also want to thank Angelica Hester, our producer. Of course, you can find the podcast at investmentnews.com, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review. Follow us on Spotify. If you want to reach out to Jeff, you can find him on Twitter. He's there 24-7. His handle is at Benji Ryder. My handle is at BD News Guy. Stay tuned. We'll be talking to you next week.